Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. Carol, hello. How are you today? Feeling pretty spoiled. Pretty spoiled. I've got my check mix. Yeah, and Holly made some homemade cupcakes. Cupcakes for Halloween. Halloween. You know, this is Halloween. It is so funny that we started this podcast to get us away from food. Yeah. And we still eat. Yep. Didn't work. Yeah, we thought if we had a project to do, it would eliminate the eating. Yeah. Nope. Now we eat and do the project and then, at yeah, the same it's time. It's pretty awesome how we were able to blend those juggle, things together. Juggle that, those talents <laughs> together. Anyway, I'm excited uh, for Halloween stories. What me do you too. have for us? For today, um, I'm doing the Monsters of the World. Um, and most of them actually are still in the United States. I'm sorry about that. But I, um, but I did get a couple that are outside of the country. So, yeah. Do you want me to start? Yes. Monsters. Monsters. Scary monsters. Let's get ready for the Monster Mash. Monster Mash. It is the Monster Mash. It is the Monster Mash. From my love in the castle east. The first uh, one we're going to talk about is the Jersey Devil. The Jersey Devil story began steeped in historic lore starting in 1735. It is believed that one of the earliest settlers to the New Jersey area was the Leeds family. The couple settled in the Pine Barrens area of New Jersey and started popping out kids fast and furious. (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) In fact, they had 12 children already when the family matriarch found out she was pregnant with her 13th child. Is that even possible? I don't know. It's crazy. Her husband was often drunk and did little to help her out with caring for the children, so another mouth to feed was not what she was hoping for. Let this one be a devil, she said, <gasps> exasperated. <laughs> yeah. So months later, well after she had forgotten what she had said about her upcoming baby, the mother went into labor. The midwives came to the Leeds residence to help her deliver her baby. It was a dark and stormy night as she labored her way through the birth. Her husband and 12 other kids waited in the room next to hers for the cries of their new brother or sister. Finally, the baby came. It was a perfect baby boy. The midwife swallowed the baby and handed it to its mother. As she gazed down upon it, she noticed something quite strange starting to occur. The baby started to transform. Horns popped out of its head and talons pushed through its fingertips. Oh, why? My it's, gosh. What kind of drugs do they have I this know, pregnant woman right? on? Its eyes turned red, feathers sprouted up all over its body, and bat-like wings popped up from its back. Its face turned into a gnarled contortion, and it glared up at its mother. Within seconds of its monstrous transformation, the thing jumped up from its mother's arms and attacked her. The creature mangled his mother's face and body and then took flight up into the ceiling of the room. Seeing the horrified midwives, the monster flew down and attacked them too, shrieking a terrible scream as it tore through them, dismembering their limbs from their bodies and clawing away at what was left. Oh my word. This is (laughs) horrendous. It's pretty bad. (laughs) 
Then hearing the worried sounds of its family in the next room, the beast flew inside to see its father and siblings held in a corner together. It attacked them as well, dismembering and killing many before flying up the chimney and out into the world. Those who survived the attack were able to spread the word that the Leeds devil, or as he is known today, the Jersey devil, had come to town and to be wary of traveling into the Pine Barrens alone, as it is believed that is where the Jersey devil lives to this day. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> that is super scary. So scary. Has, has there been any other sightings yes. of the Jersey devil? Yes. Since the lore of his birth, many have claimed to see the Jersey devil. The most prolific of these sightings were during one week in 1909. From January 16th through January 23rd, 1909, many people had encounters with the Jersey devil. It started with the discovery of strange tracks in the snow. The tracks seemed to go all over, including over fences, under fences, across fields and rooftops, etc. They were even discovered in larger towns like Philadelphia. The tracks were so unusual that mobs formed to hunt the beast. However, the hunting group's trusty bloodhounds refused to track the creature, giving the towns even more reason to be alarmed. The people of the town refused to leave their homes until the thing was caught, causing schools, factories and businesses to close down. Then the sightings started. People started seeing the animal in several areas. The police were called in and tried to shoot the creature, but it eluded them. A few nights after the police had tried to kill the animal, it appeared at a social club in Camden and tried to attack the people meeting there. The creature appeared in Haddon Heights and attacked a trolley car full of passengers and then flew away. It scampered across the tracks of another trolley car in Burlington. It showed up on the tops of people's roofs. Firemen tried to spray it with their hoses, but it would retaliate and attack them too. The description of the monster was quite strange. Many described it as a large flying kangaroo. Oh, I thought you were going to say baby. <laughs> <laughs> no. Some said it looked like an ostrich. And it was caught eating livestock and pets. The thing would eat people's chickens, and one woman even found it trying to eat her dog. Since that infamous week in 1909, the sightings of the devil did die down, but it has still been seen in the area. To this day, there are still reports of strange tracks in rural areas of the Pine Barrens area that resemble hoof prints or cloven feet on two legs. People have seen glimpses of the Jersey Devil and describe it as having the body of a kangaroo, a dog's head, a horse face, large wings made of leather and antlers on its head with a forked tail and long, sharp claws. Oh my gosh. So like a hodgepodge of animals. Yeah. The monster has taken on such a lore in the state of New Jersey that its imagery shows up on clothing and toys. Even the NHL hockey team, the New Jersey Devils, are named for the creature. I don't know about you, Carol, but that's quite a description. I wouldn't want to run into that thing in New Jersey or anywhere else. Oh, gosh, no. Glad <laughs> another reason to stay away from New Jersey. Exactly. The next monster comes to us from Latin America, but also way of Mexico. The story goes that a beautiful woman fell in love with and married a very handsome and wealthy man. The two were in wedded bliss and produced two sons. One day, the woman knows that her husband was coming home later and later each day and never seemed to pay her any attention anymore. When he was home, he only wanted to see his kids. She eventually stumbles upon her husband with another woman. In her rage and hell-bent on revenge, she returns to their home and takes her two young sons to the river where she drowns them. Oh, God. Once she realizes what she has done, she is devastated beyond all peril and decides she cannot live without her boys. She then drowns herself in the river. 
When her spirit arrives at the pearly gates of heaven, she is turned away, as her deed is just too terrible to be forgiven. She is cursed to walk the earth as a lost ghost looking for her sons. La Llorona, is that right? Yeah. La Llorona. La Llorona, which translates into the weeping woman, wears a long white dress with a long veil and long black hair over her face. She cries and cries as she wanders the earth looking for her kids. However, if she finds someone else's kids alone outside at night, she will guide them to the river and drown them as well. Some say she doesn't attack children, but instead goes after cheating husbands. The tale has been told to many a child to make sure they come home on time each night, because if they don't, La Llorona is going to get them. Oh, that would that would send me straight home <laughs> right? for sure. La Llorona has made an appearance in real life as well. In 1986, a woman in Texas named Juana Leja attempted to drown her children. She was in an abusive relationship with her husband. Unfortunately, two of her seven children did not survive her homicidal attack. When she was asked why she did it, Juana said simply because she was La Llorona herself. The curse of La Llorona. Okay, my next monster is Resurrection Mary. The story of Resurrection Mary comes to us from the town of Justice, Illinois, which is just outside of Chicago. In the late 1920s or early 1930s, a young woman was at the O. Henry Ballroom dancing with her beau. The two ended up having a fight, and the young woman stormed out of the dance hall. As she was walking home down Archer Avenue, she was struck and killed by a car. The driver sped off and was never found. Her parents later found her lying on the side of the road and eventually buried her in a white dancing dress and matching shoes in the Resurrection Cemetery. Some believe the story of Resurrection Mary is based on the death of a woman named Anna Marija Norcus, who did die in a car accident coming home from the O. Henry Ballroom in 1927. Since her death, there have been numerous reports of men driving down Archer Avenue and picking up a young female hitchhiker who is dressed in a white party dress with light blonde hair and blue eyes. Some say she has on a shawl, dancing shoes, and carries a clutch. She stays very quiet in the car. When the car approaches Resurrection Cemetery, she insists on being let out of the car, and then she disappears into the cemetery. No. A man named Jerry Palace said that in 1939, he met a woman at a different dance hall that he thinks fits the description of Resurrection Mary. He said that they danced at the dance hall and even kissed. She requested he drive her home. He took her home via Archer Avenue, but when they approached Resurrection Cemetery, she got out of the car and disappeared. There were additional sightings of Resurrection Mary in 1973, 1976, 1978, 1980, oh my gosh. and 1989. That's then, a lot of sightings. It's a sightings. lot of sightings. Many of these drivers who said they nearly hit a woman just outside of Resurrection Cemetery, when they got out to check on her, she was gone. In 1979, a story ran in the suburban trib about a car driver that picked up a young woman who was a blonde on Archer Avenue. As he was driving her up the street, she yelled at him to stop. He said he didn't see any houses around, but he did slam on his brakes. When he looked back to ask her where exactly she was going, she was already gone. He said he knows she never exited the car because he never heard the door open. No. Oh. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny they always stop for the blondes. You know? <laughs> right? The pretty blonde <laughs> girls? Yep. All right. So now my next one is Bloody Mary. Oh, yeah. Going with the theme of Mary, we're going to now do Bloody Mary. That's good. All right. Should I go to a bathroom for this one? Maybe. Dim the lights. Yeah. Yeah, get ready. The legend of Bloody Mary is believed to come from American folklore, but I'm not entirely sure if that's accurate. Bloody Mary originally was said to begin as a divination game. 
Back in the day, young women would walk backwards up a flight of stairs holding a candle and a mirror in a dark house. Oh, God. <laughs> that would be difficult to do. Yeah, I think that would cause murder and accidents yeah, immediately. For sure. I know. Or death, at least. Catch yourself on fire Accident. as you're rolling yep. down the staircase. Mm-hmm. They would look into the mirror so they may catch a glance at the image of their future husband. However, they might actually catch the glimpse of a skull instead, which would indicate that they will die before they marry. Oh, God. <laughs> Pretty morbid. <laughs> This ritual eventually evolved into the game of Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary was believed to be a ghost that could reveal the future. After going into a dark room lit only by candlelight, you would say the name Bloody Mary 13 times while looking into a mirror and wait for her to appear. In some legends, she is a good spirit, and in some, she is a bad spirit. However, if she does show up, she can appear grotesque, seen as a corpse covered in blood. She may scream at her conjurers or curse them out. In some accounts, she may even strangle them or drink their blood or scratch their eyes out. Some people call her Hail Mary or Mary Worth. Do they ever call her Hail Mary? (laughs) During football season? Nice. (laughs) I like it. In Japan, there is a similar legend called Henoko-san that is very close to the Bloody Mary legend. It is unclear if Bloody Mary is based on a real person or not, but there are several candidates that would qualify as possibilities. One would be Mary I of England. She earned the nickname of Bloody Mary for having at least 300 Protestant dissenters burned at the stake. Then there is, of course, Elizabeth Bathory, the Hungarian countess who is rumored to have tortured and killed hundreds of young girls and bathe in and drink their blood. And also there was a woman named Mary Worth who had been accused of killing slaves trying to escape the South in the United States, but she may have been a witch who had been burned at the stake during the witch trials. So it is unclear who is actually the namesake for Bloody Mary of our nightmares today, but I know one thing is certain. I am not going to stand in front of a mirror on a dark and stormy night and say her name 13 times. No, hell no. Yeah, no. No, no. Nope. All right. We used to always play this game as a kid in the bathroom. Turn off the light and mm-hmm. the, the reflection was just so spooky. Yo. Our next monster comes from Scandinavia and it is believed to be as old as the Viking Age. The term Yangongir translates into walking after death. It is believed that a Yangongir is someone who has died and returned from the afterlife to seek revenge on those who wronged them in their lives. People who are murdered or committed suicide are often expected to return as a Yangongir. Sometimes people return from the grave to take care of unfinished business. Those who were afraid of a Yangongir coming to haunt them would protect themselves by surrounding themselves and the body of the dead one with crucifixes and Christian incantations, painting symbols on the coffins, especially the Holy Cross, and carrying the coffin around the church three times before burial. Oh, God, that'd be hard. I know. Carrying the coffin around. Three times. Another. Uh, gotta get some muscles yeah. going. Another part of the lore is to put a pile of stones or twigs to mark the place someone had died. When you pass the spot, you would add another stone or twig to acknowledge the spot. If you follow the ritual, you may garner yourself some luck, but not doing so could result in bad luck or accidents. The Yangongir was said to be a very violent entity, but in more modern tellings of the lore, the Yangongir spreads disease by pinching their target while they sleep. The folklore also warned people about sleeping near graveyards, mountains, or water to avoid these deadly pinches from the Yangongir or bites from forest creatures or water spirits. The Yangongir is said to look exactly like the person who died and has returned to seek their revenge. 
However, in Swedish folklore, another type of ghost is a guest. The guest is a skeleton or transparent entity, making it impossible to know who they have been in life. The guest was known to create disease, cause accidents, and scare people for no other reason than its own enjoyment. Yeah, that's ultimately such a nasty thing to do to people. I know, it's not very nice. And why is its motivation to do that? What's its motivation? Revenge. Okay. Yeah. Everything's all about revenge, yeah. it seems. I would like to believe that when you die, you just don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're so happy to be out of here. But our, sto- <laughs> but our stories say otherwise. Uh, yeah, because we want to know. We have still the anger to come back and get even with you. So yeah. I would think, you know, everybody out there, just make peace with everybody and everything if you know your time is nigh. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to come back as a ghoul. Yeah, no. Well, my next one is called The Night Marchers. Have you heard of the Night Marchers? No, I have not. Oh, wait, maybe. Is it a camping story about some some group of ghosts in Hawaii? It is Hawaiian. I think I did mention this in our campfire scary stories, but I want to hear your version. I'm sorry to repeat it. Oh, no, no. It's so good. It needs repeating. It needs repeating. Yes. Okay. Coming to us from Hawaii is the Night Marchers. The Night Marchers are a collection of Hawaiian warriors that lead a procession of their king or chief. It is believed that on the nights when honoring the Hawaiian gods, Kain Ku Lono, or on the nights of Kanola, the Hawaiian warriors ascend from their graves or they emerge from the ocean and march along the shores to the sacred sites of Hawaii. They are dressed in their battle attire, carrying spears and beating war drums and blowing conch shells. Their feet do not touch the ground or the water. They float just above the earth. The march begins just after the sun sets and continues until just before sunrise. They also emit an odor that is foul, musky, and death-like. Those that see, hear, or smell them coming are to lay face down on the ground, naked in submission. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know that. (laughs) That's what I read. (laughs) That's really funny. They are not to move, and they must show respect and fear. If they do this, the night marchers may let them live. Some even suggest peeing on yourself oh, to God. ensure you are showing enough respect to the Hawaiian <laughs> king. This is getting this is getting a little I know a, a little, little funky. <laughs> yeah. If an ancestor is among the night marchers and recognizes his kin, the night marchers will leave them alone. The night marchers feel free to march whenever they feel it necessary. They even march through houses with doors and back doors that are built in a straight line, like a shotgun house. Oh, know, yeah. One long building. Mm-hmm. The march is conducted to please the king or chief. He is generally carried by the group at the front of the line if his face is considered sacred or in the back if his back is considered sacred so that no one can look upon him. If a living person looked upon the keener chief and that was against the sacred covenant of the marchers, then that person was killed instantly. The oh. warriors would be in bolts of lightning and flaming heat from their eyes, incinerating their victim and leaving his or her remains in vapors. This is quite the story. You have so much more detail than, <laughs> than my camping story. Pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your best bet to survive the night marchers is just not to look at them and run and hide if you hear their war drums or conch shell sounds and see the light of their torches coming towards you. The night marchers are said to haunt many sacred sites on the island of Oahu. In 2012, it was claimed that the night marchers were caught on security cameras. I couldn't find that footage, though. I looked for it. A cleaning lady who was at the building cleaning that night ended up dying the next day. The following month, she was spotted marching with the night marchers. No. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. These stories are so freaky. I know. A man named Ricky said he saw the night marchers when on a trip to Wayula. He said it was July 5th, 1995, and he was at the 
Mokalea Beach with his friends. He saw a distant flash of light in the dark and what looked like a line of fire ants marching down the mountain. He said, I thought people were hunting, but there was a long line of torches. He realized later that it was the night marchers, a tale he had been told since he was a kid. The spot he saw the marching was a common spot to see them. He hasn't been back to Mokalea since. <laughs> and right. they look like fire ants. Well, in the from a distance. Yeah. yeah. From a distance. They look like fire ants. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then finally, my last monster of the world is called El Kakui. Another strange name. I know. <laughs> El Kakui. Finally, we have El Kakui, which is from the Spain, Portugal area. El Kakui is a monster that takes disobedient children away at night and eats them. Parents in these places sing songs to their children to warn them if they are disobedient to their parents, the El Kikui is watching them from the rooftops. He will take the shape of a dark shadow and sneak into their rooms at night where he will devour them whole, leaving no trace of their existence. Sounds like our version of Krampus. Kind of, yeah. El Kikui is known as a shapeshifter who will take the shape of the thing the child fears the most. El Kikui will always be a horrible thing to look at and will hide in closets and under beds. However... In another version of El Cucuy, he is known to take away fears. In Albuquerque, New Mexico, in 2020, a large group gathered at the annual El Cucuy event. A large wooden statue was erected as an effigy to the Mexican boogeyman El Cucuy. At this event, the crowd writes down their fears on paper and sets them in or on the statue. When the statue is set ablaze, the papers go up in flames, melting away everyone's fears. During this event, a couple of firefighters were at the scene to manage the fire. They started taking photos of the fire and the crowd. Upon reviewing the photos, one firefighter noticed something rather strange. There, above the fires, was a huge, faceless entity wearing what looked like a hat, a poncho, or a heavy coat with its hands up. When the firefighters showed the photo to the director of the event, the director said that what they captured on film was indeed El Kikui. He said El Kikui was there to take all the fears that had been thrown into the fire. You can see the image as I have put a link to the local news that covered the story and the mysterious photo. I think I showed that to you. It was I think super, I sent you that TikTok. I yeah. remember seeing that TikTok and that was really, really interesting. It's really, and yeah. There's something they're looking at. I'm there not definitely sure what is, it is something in that fire. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. I don't know. Maybe somebody projected that image up there mm -hmm. and then every, nobody claimed it. And so they thought they found a real ghost or something, but... Anyway, those are my monsters of the world. Those were scary. Scary monsters. Thank you. What do you have for us? Well, it would not be Halloween without some cool stories of haunted cemeteries, right? Right. I remember having fun daring someone to go out on Friday the 13th or Halloween at midnight. Yes. And walking through a dark cemetery. Yes. Of course, that was when I was young. Yes. Most of us would just play pranks to scare each other in the cemetery, but it was spooky all the same. Growing up in Colorado, you would hear rumors of haunted places, houses, cemeteries. So today I'm going to talk about the very scary Cheeseman Park, formerly the first established cemetery in Denver, Colorado, which has a very haunted history. Ooh, la la. Uh-huh. If you've had a chance to visit Denver and tour the botanical gardens, the park is part of those same gardens. Most variations of the stories are told describing the original founding of the park as key to all the unrest and paranormal activity. Originally established in 1858, 
This burial ground was known as the Denver City Cemetery and later as the Mount Prospect Cemetery. One of the key figures involved in its planning and vision was William Larimer Jr., a land speculator and one of the founders of Denver who had grand aspirations for his cemetery. He envisioned it as a prestigious and upscale burial ground that would reflect the wealth of the gold rush and the growing city of Denver. Larimer aimed to make the cemetery an attractive and well-designed final resting place for the city's elite, and he initially intended it for it to be a place of beauty and distinction. His plans included the introduction of ornate monuments, landscaping, and other features that would set it apart from the more modest and rudimentary cemeteries of the time. But there were a couple of setbacks to his vision. The amount of money it would take to keep the area fertile and green was not possible. Plus, there was no clear vision for upkeep, and the caretakers that were hired weren't exactly motivated to take care of higher society. So many of the tombs caved in on themselves, and markers were damaged or left in a mess of unkept weeds. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody had taken charge on how to organize the plots, since families would just claim a spot with no other reason than needing to be near other family members or segregated by their religion. As time went on and Denver's population expanded, there became increasing rivalry on claiming the adjacent land of the cemetery. The Catholics wanted a certain corner, which they purchased, along with extra acres to be named Mount Calvary Cemetery. This would later become the area which is now the Denver Botanical Gardens. The 19th century was a rough place in Denver, and the rush of gold prospectors created bad blood among the men of the town, as well as general lack of hygiene. Other diseases made the cemetery a necessary place for all citizens. On the same year the cemetery opened, a disagreement between John Stoffel, a German immigrant, and his brother-in-law became violent. Stoffel pulled out his gun and shot his brother-in-law dead in cold blood, all over obtaining his newfound gold. Stoffel was found guilty and hung only two days later. The ironic thing was that the undertakers buried both of them together in the same coffin. (laughs) You guys are going to get together and get along. That's right. In the underworld. It's funny. The affluent soon wanted nothing to do with the cemetery as the growing population of the dead included such scoundrels. Over time, the cemetery's location became increasingly central, though, to the city, surrounded by upscale residential neighborhoods. In the late 19th century, there was the establishment of newer, better organized cemeteries. The original cemetery became a site of vandalism and crime. So the decision was made to transform the cemetery into a much-needed public park. With the city now being able to use federal funds, they hired a landscape architect in 1890. The architect Reinhard Schütze was commissioned to redesign the area, and the result was the creation of Cheeseman Park, which was named after Walter S. Cheeseman, a prominent Denver businessman who also gave private funds to the park's establishment. Do you like cheese? Yes, he did. He must have. (laughs) This new designation, though, meant the hard process of exhuming and relocating about 5,000 graves to other cemeteries in Denver. Oh, boy. In 1893, a contract was awarded from the city of Denver to undertaker E.P. Govern, with the tasks to find a crew and remove the bodies at a cost of $1.90 for each coffin. (laughs) Maybe it was due to the awful process of finding bodies in all sorts of states of decomposition or just their very nature of greed, 
but Govern found a way to cheat the system and gain three times the amount of money. Instead of using full-size adult coffins, he obtained small infant caskets, hacking up the bodies into multiple boxes (laughs) or adding extra dirt to increase the weight and to increase his pay. Oh, my God. Other versions, though, claim there was just a shortage of caskets. But many of the workers were found wearing handkerchiefs over their mouth and nose, and spectators would see them retching often over a particular dig. Could you imagine being hired to do that work? No, I could not. I would... I would not do that work. I'd no. be like, nope, these people are staying right where they no, are. No, <laughs> that, is, that is a job I'd just say no to. I've seen poltergeists too mm-hmm. many times. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so maybe they did need to get paid more, but whispers soon spread that the deceased were being disrespected as there were often just a wreck of various coffins and tombstones strewn about in careless fashion. Yeah. The word was that Govern was just interested in making a quick buck. Many of the bones had to be hacked down in order to fit into the smaller crates. And those who ventured curious to the process reported back that the workers were breaking apart the bodies with their shovels and axes. Oh, my God. Well, That's quite a story. <laughs> yeah. The result was that Govern was soon fired. But that left the task of how how can they move the rest of the 3000 hacked up bodies? With his quick departure and the leftover body parts and bones strewn everywhere, most of the remains could not be identified, and the tombstones now were a heap of broken debris. So, the city gave 90 days for families to try and identify their loved ones and move the bodies themselves before they then would just dump six feet of dirt over the whole thing and say, well... We're done with that and install a new park with a full irrigation system in 1907. Yes, wow. this is the this is the start of Poltergeist, yeah. I believe. I bet you that was an inspiration for it. It had to have yeah. been. Almost immediately when the whole excavation started to take place, rumors spread about paranormal activity. Oh, one of the bet. Yeah. One of the first reports was from a former grave digger named Jim Astor, who was known to rob graves. Yeah. <laughs> One night, he crept out to explore what trinkets and treasures he could find from the open tombs and claimed he felt a very strong hand grab his shoulder as he was searching. He thought it was a direct warning from the dead who judged him for his thievery. You think? Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) He fled from the grounds, never to return. Well, that's one way to get rid of a grave robber. Absolutely. (laughs) Just scare him to death. (laughs) Residents surrounding the cemetery said that when they started transferring the bodies, they had ghostly visitors knocking at their doors and windows, dressed in torn, ragged clothing and appearing sad and confused. That's crazy. I, I Could you imagine if that was like Halloween and real ghosts were showing up I, and knocking on your door? They woke me up. I was asleep in the grave and then they, uh, suddenly I felt sunlight on my face. And like, I don't, where am what, I? What's going on? <laughs> what year is it? They also reported haunting sounds of moaning echoing in the night coming from the direction of the cemetery. Mm. I would be moving. Why do Definitely ghosts, moving. What do you think ghosts moan? Oh, that's a good question. They're just so in misery. That makes me so sad. I know. There's got to be um, a theory about it. And, anyway. wh- and why is it that all the ghosts that people see are dressed in old-fashioned clothing? Have you thought about that? Very well, few ghosts are because you in just modern-day assume, clothing. Well, because you assume that ghosts come back from many centuries ago. 
the older they are, the more likely they are to haunt you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> How come we don't see a punk rocker these days <laughs> well, haunting? I don't know. I don't know. Or somebody from the 50s wearing a poodle skirt. Probably because they're atheists and they don't go anywhere. They just, mm-hmm. you know, they're just stuck. They can't oh. haunt. But if you believe, you ascend mm-hmm. and then you can come back as a ghost. So <laughs> these questions, I guess, we won't know until we actually die and cross over ourselves. I guess. So most of the haunted stories come from the Botanic Gardens and the old mansion nearby, a beautiful estate owned by Dr. Waring and his wife, who were intimately involved in the caring for the park and the Botanic Gardens. The old 1929 mansion was eventually gifted to the Botanic Gardens 30 years later. The Waring House has had issues over the years of unusual settling, which was causing the beautiful mansion to have cracks and slopes in its foundation and walls. After investigating, it was determined that much of the land was built on just fill dirt and was also built on old tombs. So, yeah, it is also your poltergeist movie nightmare. (laughs) In the Warring House, visitors have captured pictures of orbs in the main area of the home. Mm. A white outline or figment of a young boy was seen by a security guard and allowed he and several others to touch him, putting his hands all the way through, which he said changed the color of their hands and said that they could feel something material, but there wasn't any temperature changing. Huh. One of the most famous stories is that of a ghost called Slackjaw. Hmm, Slackjaw. Yeah. Two witnesses who were crossing through the park in the evening hours met with a man walking towards them in a thin, torn-up hospital gown. He had been clearly injured with stab wounds to his torso and blood soaking from his gown. Oh, jeez. When he spoke, it was noticed his jaw was slightly off-center and clearly broken. When the man approached them, he asked for a cigarette. (laughs) As you do. (laughs) Yes. One of the witnesses asked if he needed help getting back to the hospital. but The man said he was kicked out because he had no money to pay. He then questioned if either of them had seen his attackers because he needed to find them. And then he just poof, disappeared. It was only then that they realized this man that they were talking to was a ghost. The writer of the horror film, The Changeling, was inspired by events that writer Russell Hunter claimed he experienced while he was living in the Henry Treat Rogers Mansion located near the Cheeseman Park neighborhood back in the 1960s. In the attic of the home, Russell Hunter claimed to have discovered a journal in an old trunk he found in the attic of the home. The journal detailed the life of a young schoolboy who claimed he was kept locked in the attic and experienced all sorts of awful treatment. Hmm. Later, Hunter said a seance revealed the spirit of a deceased boy lurking in the home. Do you remember the scene where the ball rolls down the stairs in the movie? Ugh. It's just so scary. This red ball comes rolling yeah, down the stairs. Yes, yes. I might actually have to watch this movie again for Halloween. Mm-hmm. The home was torn down, though, later to make way for a parking lot for a nearby apartment complex in 1971 or 72. Mm. And it was re- rumored then that a construction worker was killed during the demolition. Mm. So be careful parking your cars in this lot, guys. Yeah, no kidding. There might be some paranormal curses on it. it. Yeah. Some of the visitors say they feel dread as they visit the park and others have told stories of lying down on their picnic blankets only to feel penned down for a brief second or two when trying to get back up. Hmm. So scary. Have you been to there? Um, I have. have I'll tell my story. Okay. Yes. Sounds of children laughing and seeing images of children playing in the park have been reported by many people who, in venturing out to get a closer look, 
say the children just disappear before they can rightly verify their identity. Hmm. On certain full moon nights when the park is illuminated, some sensitive people claim to see the outlines of old tombs and graves from oh, the past. Oh, that'd be cool. That huh. is so creepy. It is creepy. There are many reports of hauntings at the nearby Botanic Garden. One reported story on the Rocky Mountain Research blog from a former security guard stated he was working at the gardens during evening hours and experienced a multitude of things during that time, ranging from seeing mists of human figures, seeing discernible human figures like coloring of clothing, skin, and hair, hearing his name being whispered, hearing screaming in his ear. That would be very alarming. Yeah. Women screaming inside the building and out in the gardens, hmm. hearing doors slam, hearing footsteps, and hearing the crinkle of someone sitting on a leather couch. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, no one was there. He also reported that he saw his keys get removed from a door and then tossed several feet away. Wow. He mentions that the emergency phone from inside the elevator rang on more than one occasion, and something grabbed his friend's necklace, which had a moon crystal. Where the pendant would normally be, it looked at it for a second and then just dropped it back on her chest. Ew. That is so That nasty. would be so creepy. Knowing that somebody is like playing looking with your, your jewelry. Necklace. Yeah, ah. that would, I'd be like, uh, the hell? St stop looking at my chest. Stop <laughs> pretending you're just looking at my pretty jewelry. Get your eyes up here. Eyes up here. Up here. Eyes up here. Look up. <laughs> the security camera also picked up a recording of what appears to be a boy peeking out from behind a file cabinet in a secret staircase from the library to the master bedroom of the Waring House. Hmm. Now, both of those rooms have been converted to offices. So he said that we also have pictures of orbs in some very haunted places in the main building. And um, he also states that other employees of the Botanic Gardens and Waring House have given countless examples of paranormal events happening to them as I'm well. I'm sure, yeah. It's got to be super haunted. It has to be. Mm -hmm. It's not uncommon for workers in the park also, to this day, to uncover bones and sometimes full <laughs> skeletal remains. Jeez. For instance, the Denver Post reported that four perfectly preserved skeletons were uncovered by people doing irrigation work in the park in 2010. Not even remotely surprised. No. In another 2008 incident, two rows of coffins were uncovered by crews working near the adjacent Denver Botanic Gardens. Hmm. So Richard Estep, who is the founder and current director of the Boulder County Research Society, has written an entire book just on the paranormal events he has witnessed and heard regarding this area of Cheeseman Park and the surrounding homes and now Botanic Gardens. Hmm. He and his research team spent five nights investigating the area, and they got quite a lot of paranormal stuff. I will provide a link to his book if you are interested in reading further about this really haunted place. Hmm. Now, you asked me, have I been there? I do remember going to the Denver Botanic Gardens. It was in the, um, I would say, early 1990s. Mm -hmm. And at the time, we didn't know of the reputation that it was haunted. Yeah. We just wanted to go tour the gardens. Yeah. But we did have a strange experience. Hmm. While we were touring the garden, I felt it odd that there was a random wheelchair just sitting in the middle of a path without anyone in it. Yeah. I remember going through the whole gardens and then we just gasped when we rounded another corner ready to approach the exit and the exact same empty wheelchair was sitting pushed up by the side of the path ahead of us. Weird. Huh. There was nobody elderly around. 
or anyone we could see that would need the use of the wheelchair. Hmm. Also, how did someone move the chair around us on the path without us noticing and beat us to the exit? Ghost, ghost. We were so freaked out. We mentioned our confusion and someone chuckled and then told us, the place was haunted, so maybe it was a ghost who was tired of walking. Maybe it was an elderly ghost. Maybe it thought was. they still needed their wheelchair. It was just really an odd huh. experience. That's weird. Huh. So that is my story. That's great. It's really Cheeseman good. Park. Cheeseman Park. Check it out oh, if you're yeah. ever in Denver. Denver, Colorado. And whatever you do, don't lay your blanket down on the ground. You might not get <laughs> back up. I just love the way they did things back in the day. Like it was, who cares? Was There's like, a bunch of bodies you know here. We're so tired of this. Just smush them down into these little baby caskets and <laughs> call it good. Like that is just so funny how different generations of people see things, you know? Yeah. And now our generation is turning people into liquid and, you know, we're becoming fertilizer. Have you heard that? No. Soylent green. Look it up. Oh my God. <laughs> you got to tell them. Silent Green is people! We've got to stop them somehow! So they take dead bodies and they turn it into fertilizer? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> well, that's cool too. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I've always wanted to be a tree. Well, you could sprinkle yourself on a tree. Well, somebody could sprinkle you on a tree. And I wonder if I'd be... make a good tomato. You might. <laughs> it might be delicious. I am pretty rosy in the cheeks. Yeah. Mm, yummy. Mm, yum, yum. Mm. All right, guys. This is good. <laughs> this is making me hungry. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. That does it for us. And we'll be back next week when it's Happy Halloween. Halloween. Bye. The thing would eat people's chickens, and one woman even found it trying to eat her dog. Say it one more time. To this day, there are still reports of strange tracks in rural areas of the Pine Barrens area that sit that no, no. <laughs> All right. So the next one we have is la. Okay. La la what? Uh, well, I'm <laughs> I'm worried I'm gonna butcher it. La Lorna, la la Lorna. It's L A L L O R O N A. La La Lorna, something like that. I saw a movie and they had a very distinct way of pronouncing it and I don't think I'm doing it justice. So the centers burned at the stake. Okay. Is that better? Yeah. yeah. Then there is, I mean, course... not good that they're burned at stake, <laughs> but I can understand but now what you know they what are. I actually said. Yeah, I, right. do, I do now. I understand <laughs> it. Good job. Thank you. My next monster is called a Gangungir. Gangungir. All these monsters. <laughs> their superpower is difficult names to pronounce. Difficult names to pronounce. But in most modern tellings of the lore, the Gangungir spreads. No oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's Uncle Uncle Beanie's butt out there. That's right. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts, and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode. <laughs>